You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Well, good morning to you all. It's great to be with you here on this Sunday morning. And uh, my name is Richard. Um, if you don't know who I am, it's great to have you here if you're joining us for the first time on our online service. And uh, we're continuing in this incredible series. I've really been enjoying it. Hopefully you have two season three of our Unstoppable series. We started way back in 2021 and taking some breaks. We're working through the book of Acts, which is really just an exciting part of Scripture that tells about just the start of this thing called the church, the Jesus movement, that started with a handful of people and just became unstoppable uh, movement across the world of that time. And even you and I are still feeling the effect of that in incredible ways today. And so today I want to title this message, Unsung Heroes. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but we still seem to be a culture, at least here in the West, a culture that still is very fixated on heroes, women and men who do extraordinary things. We know their names and we marvel at them, whether it's from uh, celebrity or influencer culture, where it's all the superhero movies that keep coming out. Or even if you're local here in Toronto, we have um, a mayoral candidate race going on at the moment. They're trying to elect a new mayor. And uh, I won't say the, the candidate's name, but I came across their sign and their slogan is here to rescue Toronto. I mean, talk about the weight of the world on your shoulders, <laughs> but here to rescue Toronto. And so it's again, this idea of one person is going to come in and swoop in and fix all the things. And so we seem to gravitate towards that uh, clearly through what we would like to watch on TV. And even as we come to Scripture, even in the book of Acts, we've really been drawn to just a handful of names. And Peter, for the, the first part of Acts, was a prominent figure. And the last few weeks, we've really turned our attention to this uh, person called Paul, Paul the Apostle. And rightly so. They did incredible things. They were kind of ordinary people in some ways, just used extra extraordinarily by God in their time. And so we're very thankful for their sacrifice. But today I want to focus on some lesser known people, three people in particular, who are critical to the health and the success of the early church um, today. And so we're going to start, um, I'm going to take you back to the beginning of chapter 18, just to provide the context of where we're going to be today. And so join me in the first three verses. Um, it'll be up on your screen. It says it like this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And so the, the first two people that we're introduced to here is Priscilla and Aquila. Now, last week, um, uh, Lucas filled in what was happening in chapter 17 there were them in Athens, and he had some um, great kind of reflections on what was happening there. And so Paul then leaves Athens and comes to this other major city called Corinth. And while he's there, he finds this couple, Priscilla and Quilla, and joins them, works with them, and lives with them. They, they, they were involved in the same trade. Um, at that time, you didn't compete with one another. If you're a tent maker, you found other tent makers, and you formed a trade guild, and you would often live and work together. Um, in that trade. And so Paul, uh, sorry, Priscilla and Aquila become a key part, certainly of Paul's ministry. Um, there's a handful of times he references them in some of his letters, particularly the letters to the Corinthian church. They really help him establish the church in Corinth. And it looks like he probably stayed with them close to 18 months and talk about just an immersive time 
of being with the great Paul the Apostle. So it continues on in verse 18 and 19. So there Paul stays in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by who? Priscilla and Aquila. They all arrived at Ephesus, where then Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. And so here we want to pause, and here we want to put up uh, again the map. So Paul is on his second missionary journey. In fact, it's coming towards the end. He has just a very simplified one. So hopefully you can kind of orientate yourself in that. He's covered a lot of distance. In fact, they say estimate by the end of this second missionary journey, it's taken three years and he's covered something like 5,000 kilometers of traveling. Listen, even today with cars, that's still a lot of traveling. And so again, hats off to, to Paul and just the people that helped him on the way. But there you go. They, they, they leave Corinth and they go to this next major city, Ephesus. Um, and so Priscilla and Aquila stay in Ephesus where Paul heads back home to his home base to regroup before he then launches out in his third missionary journey, which we'll hear more of in the next couple of weeks. Um, and so this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, so these are some of the unsung heroes I want to kind of highlight today because they're incredibly instrumental, uh, certainly in Paul's ministry, but definitely in the early church's success. Now, um, they're mentioned six times in Scripture, and four out of the six times that they're mentioned in Scripture, Priscilla, the wife's name, is always mentioned first, Priscilla and Aquila, which is kind of unusual at that time given such a patriarchal culture. But one commentary uh, said it like this on them, perhaps the reason for that. Um, the Christian church, beginning with Jesus, had a radical view of the status of women. Jesus demonstrated that he valued women and men equally as being made in the image of God. Luke clearly indicates Priscilla's agency and her interdependent relationship with her husband. She is certainly not Aquila's property, as was customary in Greco-Roman society at that time, but rather his partner in ministry and marriage. Priscilla holds her own. Um, she probably comes from um, a wealthy family, she's probably got status, but she certainly holds her own. And I just wanted to highlight that because you don't often hear women pop up in these stories but make no mistake, and Luke is drawing to our attention, women as well as men, but women were also critical to the success and foundation of the early church. Jesus certainly esteemed them, as does the gospel, level the playing field between men, women, Greek, Gentile, uh, Jew. We know all that. And so now let's come to our text for today. So we've been introduced to Priscilla and Quilla. They've joined Paul. They've stayed with him. They've probably been disciples with him. We're unsure if Paul led them to the Lord or they heard about the gospel before they met Paul. But certainly we can assume that Paul had a tremendous impact upon their lives. So got an immersive discipleship experience with the Apostle Paul. So much so that they join him as they go to Ephesus. He now heads home, but he leaves this couple in Ephesus. And now we pick up in verse uh, 24 at the end of chapter 18. Um, and it says this, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, come, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. So there's our third unsung hero. We don't hear much about Apollos. We hear a little bit about him in this passage as well as in reference uh, into 1 Corinthians. He becomes a pillar in the Corinthian church. But at first we meet him here. What do we know about him? He's a Jew. He's a native of Alexandria. Why is that important? 
Well, back in that first image, you would have seen Egypt. And at the top of Egypt, just on the Mediterranean coast, was this city called Alexandria. Now, it was founded by Alexander the Great way back in the 331 BC. And arguably after Rome, it was the most important city in the ancient world. Why? Because it was an education and philosophical center of that time. Um, it was very cosmopolitan, it had a population of 600,000 plus people, which again at that time was significant, it was a big city, uh, of Egyptians, Greeks, Jews, um, and Romans. And so we see that this Apollos, he arrives in Ephesus, and it tells us he's learned. Now, that means he's well-educated, it means he's cultured, would be a word that we might use today. He's a man of the world, he, he knows about culture, he knows what's going on in society, he's eloquent. Um, he's also well-versed in scripture. He knows his Bible. He knows his Bible very well. It tells us that he's fervent or passionate as well as accurate when he speaks about Jesus. And then we'll hear a little bit later, but he's a great debater, a great public speaker. But there's one problem. He has a little deficiency in his understanding of Jesus. It says that he knew only the baptism of John. What might that be talking about? Well, we know that the baptism of John, John the Baptist, was all about repentance and about pointing toward the future Messiah coming and all that he would do. And so an incredibly important part, a forerunner, if you will, for Jesus. But for whatever reason, Apollos hasn't heard or perhaps hasn't understood the significance of Jesus' death, his resurrection, and then everything else has happened. Pentecost, the birth of the church, how the Jew Gentiles, how it's been thrust wide open to not just Jews, but to enter into the family of God. And so he knows about Jesus to a point, but it's certainly clear that he doesn't know Jesus personally in that way, and definitely doesn't know all the ramifications of Jesus' death, his resurrection, and this thing called Pentecost, where the Spirit now fills men and women with the life of Jesus. And so he is immature in some ways in his uh, being a disciple of Jesus. And so um, verse 26 for me is the key uh, to our passage today. And so it says it like this. Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explain to him the way of God more adequately. Priscilla and Aquila, they left in Ephesus. They go to the synagogue, probably seen that as Paul. Paul would often go to the synagogue, and he would try to also then use that opportunity to preach to the Jews. He had some success, but increasingly they began to reject him. But we find them. They're in the practice of that. They're at the synagogue, and they hear this Apollos speak. Now, undoubtedly, they're hearing the eloquence of him speaking, how powerfully rhetorically he's speaking. He's a great public speaker, gifted in that sense. Um, but they also can hear, oh, he doesn't know the full story. There's significant things that he is missing out on in retelling the significance of the Jesus story. And so they respond in two ways. One, they respond graciously. They don't get threatened by Apollos. They don't get defensive by Apollos. Instead, what do they do? It says they invite him into their home. They extend hospitality. Now, when we're talking about this time, it's 2,000 plus years ago, very different time, very different culture, very different place. And so sometimes we'd have to do a lot of work kind of translating and what things meant there to what they mean now. But when we hear about them inviting them into the home, I think even despite the time and distance and the, and the cultural distance, we understand the significance of that. Generally, when you invite people into your home, it's a sign of hospitality. It's a sign of letting your guard down. It's a sign of extending relationship. 
even vulnerability and intimacy, you let people into your home. It's a sign of being dropping the guard down, okay? And it's it's a great extension, a gracious extension, if you will, for them to have a private, not a public conversation about perhaps presenting some corrections to Apollos' uh, teachings. So they're gracious, but now they also need to be bold, right? They don't wait for Paul like, oh, you've got to wait for Paul. He's incredible explaining the story of Jesus. In fact, you've got to hear his testimony about he encountered Jesus. Wait for him. When he gets back, he's going to be able to fill in all the blanks for your polis. No, they take it upon themselves. They take it upon themselves to explain and teach to the great Apollos, um, despite his clear superior personality and his gifting. All right. And so it takes great boldness for them to approach him. And I want to also point out, he was taught not just by Aquila, but by Priscilla. It says that both of them corrected him. Both of them explained more fully the way of God to Apollos. And so it takes great humility on his behalf to hear that. And so what's the result? Let's continue to hear what the story uh, takes us. And then we're going to put some application for us today. Verse 27, it goes on to say, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia. Now, Achaia was the province where Corinth was the capital of. So in essence, what he's saying is he wants to go to Corinth. The brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, and for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, this is incredible, and it's incredible if you've been able to connect the dots uh, with what we understood what happened with Paul in Corinth. And if you didn't, I'm going to try and help you with that. But firstly, what does Apollos do? Is he not only gets corrected in his doctrine and his thinking, gets more fully understands the significance of the gospel message, but he finds his people. It says the brothers and sisters around them encourage him. They endorse him to go to the brothers and sisters that are awaiting him in Corinth. So he finds his people and he get, receives their correction and encouragement. And that empowers Apostle to go, uh, sorry, Paul, Apollos to go on to have an incredibly effective ministry. Now, we know that Paul was in Corinth just before he came to Ephesus, and we know that he had very limited success, particularly with the Jewish people in the synagogues. So much so that he was like exasperated and he wiped his hands clean of them and he started ministering to other people and he had great success there. Apollos goes back and he goes back to the same people that Paul really struggled with and it seems that he had great fruit there. And so in some ways, we could see the gifting upon Apollos' life is up there with uh, Paul. Um, perhaps Priscilla, we've got to fill in the blanks, but one thing one thing I think is perhaps Priscilla and Aquila had filled them in on the struggles they had experienced in Corinth and what brought them where they were before this. And so Apollos now, knowing that he's gifted, knowing he's got a calling, knowing he's got a purpose, knowing that he can uh, successfully debate and speak, wants to go back there. And so later on, Paul the Apostle write uh, many letters to the Corinthians. We have two. And his first letter, in the first four chapters, he really highlights how esteemed Apollos was in the Corinthian church and even to Paul himself. Um, Apollos was an incredibly gifted uh, evangelist, public speaker, and it looks like he had a lot of fruit going back to where Paul had struggled initially. So much so that Paul has to address the Corinthian church because they're kind of being set up. I'm of Apollos. I like him. I'm of Peter. I like him. I'm of Paul. And he comes out with a verse. I planted the seed. Apollos watered. But it was God 
He gave the increase. And you know, and even today, I'm of Tim Keller. I'm of Steve Furtick. I'm of you fill in the blank of your favorite preacher. And honestly, it's a very immature way to receive different gifts in the body of Christ. It's not one person. We, we've got to dismantle that hero kind of uh, thinking as it, as it comes to um, receiving all that God's gifted in his body. So N.T. Wright, one of my favorite biblical scholars, particularly the New Testament, he offers a bit of a commentary on this passage, and I like what he has to say here. So I'm going to read it. It's a bit of a, a long passage, but uh, it'll be up on the screen for you as well. He says, Luke, who writes the book of Acts, Luke offers no, no set pattern for the way in which people come step by step into full membership of the Christian family and full participation in all the possibilities that are thereby open to them. Sometimes it happens this way, sometimes that. Just as humans grow to maturity at different paces, and some make great strides in one area while others have to catch up later, so it seems to be in the church. What matters is that we are open, ready to learn, even from unlikely sources, and prepared for whatever God has to reveal to us through the scriptures and the ongoing and always unpredictable common life of the believing family. And so as an application for us today, I want to talk about for us here at Every Nation GTA, one of the values that we really hold to is discipleship, but how we phrase it is a culture of growing. We want to be a excuse me, we want to be a church that creates a culture in which people are challenged and encouraged to grow, not stagnate, but to grow into full maturity as a disciple of Jesus. We say seeing people grow spiritually to become mature followers of Jesus Christ. This is what Apollos needed. Even with everything that he brought, there was an immaturity in him that Priscilla and Aquila picked up on. And had they not done that, who knows what we would have missed out on with Apollos' effective preaching ministry. And so mature just means to be fully developed. Now, we know that's an ongoing process. I don't think we'll ever fully achieve that in this lifetime. But it means that we're always in the processes of maturing, that we're in the process of being more and more developed into followers of Jesus. And so in some ways, I want to identify all of us with both Apollos and Priscilla and Kula in this story. Like Apollos, you and I have immature or deficiencies in understanding the way of God. And so Priscilla and Kula had to take him aside and more fully explain the way of God, God's way, the gospel, what the significance of Jesus' death, resurrection, Pentecost, the birth of the church, right? That was all kind of missing from his story, as eloquent and as powerful and as gifted as he was. But also, like Priscilla and Aquila, if we're in their shoes, we all have opportunities to help others grow in the way of God. Had they not stepped into that gap, who knows if somebody would have or if Apollos would have always just gone around having that deficiency in his understanding. And so a disciple just means a learner, just means an apprentice, just means one who spends time with the teacher and becomes like the teacher in the end. And so for us, firstly, to be Apollos, if we're going to step into Apollos' shoes, we're all needing to grow as a disciple, to develop maturity as a disciple. And so if we look at Apollos, there's some great characteristics of what we see in a disciple. So again, he was cultured, right? And he was very uh, well-educated in the scriptures. He knew his Bible, but he knew what was going on around him ties in the first part of culture, ties into what Lucas was preaching last week, that we should be attentive to the culture. We shouldn't withdraw from the culture. We shouldn't bl uh, blank off everything culture. We should be discerning what we consume from the culture for sure. 
but we should be attentive to the culture. We should have wisdom. He didn't just read books, uh, you know, just on his favorite Christian authors. Um, you know, I forget who it was. I was trying to think of it as I was driving here, but there was a famous person who said, I always have a newspaper. You can see it's dated. I have a newspaper in one hand and my Bible in the other. But it's the both of that. It's, it's understanding what's going on in the world that I live in today and what's going on in the reality of God that impacts today. Both are necessary. And we see that in Apollos, we also see that he's both passionate and accurate in sharing about Jesus. And we need that balance, right? You know, people who are very passionate about the gospel, very passionate when they preach, but you might say, I'm kind of low on substance. (laughs) I mean, they could sell anything. They're just convincing, but like, there's not a lot of meat. I wish they would grow and grow. And then we know those people who are incredibly uh, accurate in the scriptures, incredibly accurate, but like, honestly, boring to death. Like, just like, wow, does, are you really happy? Is the good news really good news to you? Um, and so we need those balances, fervent, passionate, and accurate as we try to communicate the good news of Jesus and all that he do, does for us. But for me, I think the key, coming back to that verse 26, the key is um, growing as a disciple is his humility and his teachability. And Paul, I mean, you've got to think about it. And that culture, again, I mean, he's esteemed. I mean, and yet this couple that maybe he doesn't know well draws him aside and say, hey, uh, we're going to invite you over for a meal and we're going to talk to you. And hey, listen, we, we're really encouraged about what you shared in the synagogue today, but can we just fill in some blanks for you? And it probably took a lot of humility and teachability from Apollos, but I'm so glad he did that. I'm so glad he received that correction because he went on to have, as we've said, an incredibly effective ministry. So what might that look like for us here at Every Nation GTA? Well, our mission is, we say it in different ways, but ultimately our mission is to help people follow the call. And we know that the call is to follow Jesus personally, but it's also a call to follow Jesus communally with other people. And we also know it's to follow Jesus on his mission, missionally, out into the world. And we can sometimes think of those as compartments, my personal devotional life, my community life, and then my outreach missionary life. But the reality is the best way to think about it is try and get those to converge. And they actually help one another. And so the diagram that's up on your screen now is a way that we we talk about the, the sweet spot of growing as a disciple is when we're growing in those three directions. We're growing up in our worship of Jesus. We're growing into the community with one another. And we're growing out with our relationship with the world and the people around us who don't believe what we believe. And as we grow in those areas, as we, we mature and develop those areas, we become a more mature follower of Jesus. And we see the pattern in his life, right? He spends time alone with the Father. He spends time with the disciples. He spends time in the crowds and eating with sinners and tax collectors. And it's all kind of mixed into his daily life as it should be for us. And honestly, those three directions also speak to kind of three big questions that every single person wrestles with. The first one is a question of identity. Who am I? And the question of identity is answered as we grow a relationship with Jesus, that Jesus is enough. That is, he is enough. And so we can, we can latch on to other things in society. And again, Lucas touched on this on, on idols and those become our sources of identity around career, success, wealth, fame, beauty, whatever it may be, pleasure. But this really answers the question of identity. The second one really answers the question of belonging. Where do I belong? Where do I fit in? And again, it answers it. And you fit in with the, the people of God. You know, Paulus finds the people of God. 
It's doing relationship with one. It's doing life with one another, not just church life with one another. Remember, Paul lived and worked with Priscilla and Aquila for 18 months. So that's a lot of life. And they did some church and ministry life together, but a lot of life they did together. And again, it's Apollos, come into our home. Come into our home. Come into our life. Let's do life together. And then the third one about growing outward is, is answering the question of purpose. What's my purpose? What am I here for? And the Christian story answers that. We're here to join God's story in the world. And that's to be unpacked in many different ways beyond the scope of what we can do now. But it's critical that we see that, that we need Priscilla's and Quillas and a community around us. It wasn't just Priscilla and Aquila. In the verses that followed, it said the brothers and sisters. And so he was connected to Priscilla and Aquila, who then connected to the brothers and sisters in Ephesus at the time. It's they that also encouraged him. Um, there's been a lot of statistics on this, but it, it takes almost up to five key people in your life to be properly, more effectively discipled. It's not just one person or two people. It's not 20 people either. We can go to two extremes. But it does need to be a handful of people, four to seven people, if you will, who can speak really into your and my life. Uh, there's an old African proverb that says it takes a village to raise a child. If you want to apply it to this, it takes a church to raise a disciple. And it just means it takes a number of different people to create the environment for flourishing and growth and maturity. That's what we want to create as a church. That's what we want to have as a culture in our church where Priscilla's and Quillas are stepping up, brothers and sisters are stepping up, not just waiting for one or two select few, but they're stepping up and um, providing opportunities to pour into other people. So that's the Apollos. We're all in the Apollos. We're all needing Priscilla's and Aquilas. We're all needing people around us. And so we can take a step of proactiveness. We don't need to wait for someone to come and create us. We can go to someone and say, hey, I'm opening up my life to you. I invite you to come in and speak into my life. I would, I want you to, there's things that you see in my life. I want to grow as a follower of Jesus and I need your help to do that. That's, you know, for, for any leader, any person in the church, that's, that's such a, a nice conversation to have with people, right? It doesn't often happen for whatever reason, but if you're um, needing some people like that, be prayerful. Ask God, God, who are the people in my life that I really admire who are maybe a couple of steps ahead of me? in the journey of faith, and have a conversation with them maybe even this week. Now we're going to flip hats. We're not all just Apollos's. A lot of us are also Priscilla's and Aquila's. And again, I want to remind you that they're to, we're, just like they were gracious and bold in dealing with Apollos, if we're going to be discipling other people, if we're going to be pouring into other people, we need a balance of both being gracious and bold in their life, right? And so knowing... Um, you know, the key for them was that they heard him in the synagogue. They invited him into their home and they explained to him. You know, they heard him. They took time to listen. They took, they were gracious enough to be. They're engaging in the community around them at the time. They're hearing him. They're hearing something a little off in what he's saying. And so they take another step. They invite him into his, into their home. And then they sit down and they explain more fully the way of God to them. But it wasn't just them. It was also the community at Ephesus. The brothers and sisters encouraged them, and then they also endorsed him as he wanted to go back to Corinth and continue the ministry there. So how does that look like for us here at Every Nation GTA? Well, if you've been around any Every Nation church for long enough in any part of the world, you may have come across 
what we call four principles that govern the way that we uh, see this, the process of discipleship happening. Now, I just got to put a disclosure here, disclaimer at least. These are principles. Principles are incredible. They're very transferable. But almost no every nation church that I know does this the same way, the same method. And so principles are one thing, practices are another thing. But these principles, I think, are really good. They're very simple. They're very effective. and They're very helpful. And we actually see it being played out in this passage we read. But it's the principles, the four E's of discipleship. And firstly, it's one that we begin by just engaging our community. Engage community. We engage the culture. We don't hide away from it. This is Priscilla and Aquila engaging the community culture. They're in the synagogue. They're not withdrawing. They're out and about as they would uh, Apostle Paul. And that's where they hear that. Um, it's what Lucas was talking about last week. We attended to the culture. We engaged the culture, engaged the people, can have relevant conversations with people because we know what's going on in culture. But then they look to establish him, right? This is them inviting him and explaining to him, establishing biblical foundations in a person's life, establishing them in community, getting them involved in the community. Hey, you want to meet us? Wait until we introduce you to the other brothers and sisters. There's a whole bunch of us around. Then it goes on to not just establishing in biblical foundations, but then equipping and empowering Apollos to uh, to minister and to be effective in ministry, um, equipping him to minister and empowering him to minister. And that's also what we want to do. As we engage people, as we establish them in key foundations in their lives, that we quickly want to empower, equip and empower them to then go on and do and multiply um, ministry as they then be, make disciples and uh, ex- become effective ministers and whatever it is that God's called them to do. And so there's different ways that we do that as churches. There's different ways that we do that as a church. But in essence, that's the principles that govern the way that we want to help be Priscilla's and Aquila's brothers and sisters in other people's lives. And so as I close today, as I um, really was excited to highlight some lesser known people in Scripture. And if you follow their story into Corinthians, if you want to, you just you can see how significant they were, Priscilla, Aquila, and Apollos, especially to Paul, especially to the church of that time. And it should be an encouragement for you and I, who, the, let's, let's face it, not a lot of us are going to be Apostle Pauls. Not a lot of us are going to have the esteem and the, and the giftedness of an Apollos, but we can all play a role. We can all use our giftings to help grow a culture of growing, of maturing, of becoming a disciple myself, but also of growing and helping others mature in their faith. And so maybe some reflective questions for you as you consider this. Do you have a Priscilla or an Aquila in your life? Do you have a voice? Now, don't give me your favorite preacher that you listen to. I love preachers. I listen to other preachers. I listen to podcasts. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about relationship with people who can get to see your life, know your life, who perhaps you could go into their home or go into the coffee shop, right? You can't really do that with some of the, the famous preachers out there? Do you have a community of brothers and sisters that can encourage you like they encourage Paul the Apostle? And if you say no to that, then reach out. Do something about that. Begin by praying. God, lead me to those people. Reach out. There's ways that we can help you with that um, following the service if you want to reach out to us. The second thing is, because a lot of us think we want that, right? But I want you to also see yourself. You might be very young in the faith, but I want you to see very quickly that you too can be in a Priscilla and Aquila to somebody else. So do you have an Apollos in your life? Do you have someone who's perhaps a little deficient or needs to have the way of God more explained to them? Now, I know all of us feel inadequate. Listen, if it's going to take perfection for us to be able to disciple an Apollos, none of us are qualified. 
But again, like we like to say in every nation, we just need to be one chapter ahead. We just need to be a little step ahead in a certain area to be able to help somebody else. And we come in with humility. We don't know it all. We're on the same journey. But I can help an Apollos. Hey, you're, def- you're incredible in so many ways that I'm not. But in this area, I can help you and fill in the blank for you. So do you have an Apollos in your life? And again, if not, pray, ask God, God, who's around me? Who's there that I can come alongside and help pour into and disciple? And ultimately, the gospel calls you and I. The good news of Jesus calls us to follow him firstly. But as we follow him, we do that with other disciples, the other people. Community is important. In fact, you can't follow Jesus by yourself. You need community around you. But then it's also following him on his mission to go and make other disciples. This culture of growing was uh, viral in the early church. Just regular people getting caught up in the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, following in his footsteps, helping others do the same. And you and I are the fruit of that today. The church, for all its challenges, all its struggles, is still going strong. And so that's credit to these unsung heroes doing their part. And so I take hope in that, and I hope you take hope in that, that we too could continue to create a culture of growing in our church. And who knows what may happen in the years to come, what apollices and Pauls may come from the fruits of our ministry. Amen. And so if you are wanting to reach out, if you're stuck and you don't know, uh, we'd love to help you in that. Um, we make use of a Next Steps card. You can just reach out on our website, everynationgta.org, and fill it out and let us know how we can best serve you. And we hope we'll be able to correct you, connect you to the right people in order for you to mature and grow and move forward in your relationship uh, with Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.